Our sermon passage this morning is from 1 Peter, chapter 1, and we'll be reading verse 22 all the way to the third verse of chapter 2. That can be found on page 1188 or 1188 of the Pew Bibles. 1 Peter, chapter 1, starting at verse 22 and reading all the way to the third verse, chapter 2. Before I read, would you please join me in seeking the Lord in prayer? Lord Jesus, you have sent the Holy Spirit to your people. That when we come to worship, you are not at a distance, but you are present with us. You are in the assembly, proclaiming, bringing peace, building us up, and where necessary, rebuking. And so, Lord Jesus, I pray that you would accomplish your purposes in preaching this morning. We need so much more than a text and a a speaker. We need your Holy Spirit. We need you to open our eyes. To renew our wills so that we may take hold of Jesus Christ. All of what he is for us and all of what he calls us to do. I pray that you would do that this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Starting at verse 22. Please give your attention to the word of God. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Holy Spirit and sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Because all flesh is as grass, And all the glory of man is the flower of the grass. The grass withers, and its flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Now this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, as newborn babes, Desire the pure milk of the word, that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Uh, Well, our last time in Peter, he was urging us to act like little children. You remember that odd phrase, gird up the loins of your mind and act like children. Expects that when Jesus returns, he will bring grace for his people. He will consummate his kingdom and save his people entirely. And he will have victory over his enemies. And so Peter says, in that meantime, you need to act like children and imitate your father. Be holy in all of your conduct, because your father is holy. 
Well, Peter is going to give us a little bit more of all that's involved with acting like obedient children. Because in our sermon passage this morning, uh, he's going to be talking to us about the love you need for your siblings and growing up. One of those things is a lot easier for children. Children are always eager to grow up. I want to be able to drive. I want to be able to set my own bedtime. But children are also often very slow to love their siblings. And so Peter is writing to the church and says, you need to do both. You need to love your siblings and grow up. Of course, we could ask, hold on a second here, Peter. When did I get siblings? Uh, Will you remember that uh, as Peter is writing to the church, those uh, yous, that second person, is more like a y'all than a you. That it is y'all who have been uh, saved and delivered. It is all the people of God who are kept by his power as they are moving from suffering to glory. Obeying in this life until they share in the praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so, those who sit in the pews with you are not just those who just happen to be around you. Are not just those who are in the same geographic region as you are. But Jesus Christ has made that person your brother that person, your sister. And so, Peter reminds us of that. What's the worst that can happen, though, with, with these truths? So you have the same Lord, same blessing, same salvation, same golden life. It should be pretty easy to live together, right? That shouldn't be a challenge at all. Well, you know that that would be ridiculous for me to assume that. And that's why Peter doesn't assume it as well. As we look at verse 1 in chapter 2, what is Peter expecting to show up in the assembly of God's children? Those who have been purified by the blood of Christ for obedience, those who have an inheritance kept for them, And yet Peter is still expecting to see malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and evil speaking. And he's writing this to Christians. And this is no surprise to any of you. But in any local church, there you can find individuals who have been saved by the Lord Jesus. And treat their brothers and sisters terribly. So what does Peter present as the remedy for this? You must love your siblings. And you must grow up. There's usually two ways that the church can respond to this Frequent reality that the church is not yet what she should be. One of those responses is to settle. Ah, People aren't perfect. 
No, that's just part of life in church. Gossip, slander, envy, divisions. One day, this won't happen, but what are you going to do about it? And there's also then blaming others. Well, this isn't a loving church because of that person. We could be a loving church if this family would get it together. And Peter says, no. You need to hear Holy Scripture. You cannot love your brothers and sisters like the world or present the same excuses as the world because you have been born of God's seed. That's what we see in verses 22 to 23. You've been born again, not of a corruptible seed, but an incorruptible seed through the word of God. Peter is saying a seed will uh, produce life and the fruit of that seed must match the character of that seed. You know, so you find a nice little plot of dirt, you prepare the dirt, and you drop that seed in, and then you give it a little bit of water, some sun, a little bit more water, a little bit more sun. And then in that dirt, what do you see? That first little bit of green. And you rejoice. Life! You take a picture of it. You, you, you boast, did you see, that, that I'm not terrible in the garden. Look, this is growing. But it's not just that you are expecting life, but for it to have a certain character. And so as that seed that you planted grows and you rejoice over the life, and all of a sudden it's zucchinis instead of tomatoes, you don't say, oh, all right. Uh, no, I was expecting Tomatoes. And so too, God, our Father, looks over his household where his children are and says, I expect life because you've been born again, but I'm also expecting your character to match my own. For you to be loving your brothers and sisters. We have been born again by this seed, and it demands and produces this result of loving one another. And Peter gives our our new birth from two vantage points. Uh, Redemption accomplished, which if you were going to take seminary classes, you would hear this as historia salutis, right? That in history, Jesus comes and by his life, death, and resurrection, and ascension, he accomplishes salvation. And we see this in verses 2 and 3 of uh, chapter 1. That before the foundation of the world, that God had decreed that he would elect a people from all over the world to belong to Jesus Christ. To be set apart by the Spirit and obey him. And in verse 3, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which as a historical moment none of us were, were there for, secured our new birth. And so then he gives the vantage point of redemption applied. Again, if you were going to seminary, you would hear this as ordo salutis. And this is uh, explained in that phrase that he gives, obedience to the truth in verse 22. Obeying the truth. 
Uh, we can forget that our Lord Jesus, as he preached, repent and believe in the gospel, that these are commands. These weren't suggestions. This wasn't the Lord Jesus bargaining with individuals. The best I can do for you is for you to repent and place your faith in Christ. And so the Spirit of God works in the life of an individual, and they are empowered to embrace Jesus Christ, to repent of their sins, and to place their faith in the gospel. Now, Peter says, you have come to have new birth because the Spirit has brought you to repent and place your faith in Jesus Christ. And in doing so, you are obeying the truth. And this uh, doesn't mean that you uh, have a right relationship with the Lord, that you love God, and then that's it. We put a period on the end of that. No, it's you have a right relationship with the Lord, and you also have a renewed relationship with the person in the pews with you. But not only are you to love the Lord, but you are to love your brothers and sisters with a sincere and pure heart. A fervent love. A love, according to verse 1, that's free from malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy. A love, according to chapter 3 and verse 8, that has one mind among the people of God. You have compassion for one another. That you love as brothers. That you're tender-hearted and courteous. Uh, Peter makes no provision uh, for us to take one hand and grab salvation. Isn't it great that I don't have to fear judgment? The blood of Jesus has covered my sins. And with our other hand, say to our brother or sister, get away from me. Peter makes no provision for this. Uh, I I did change it uh, last minute, and thank you for bearing with me. Uh, But this also comes up in the Jeremiah 7 passage. You see, the the people that Jeremiah is preaching to found a way to make Christianity easier. Why don't we bring our our sacrifices to God? Because, you know, that deals with our sin, our guilt. We don't want to be under God's wrath. Uh, But the rest of his commands, loving our neighbor, practicing peace, gentleness, kindness, uh, taking care of the widow or the poor, let's just go ahead and throw those in the trash can. And so God sends Jeremiah to say to his people, when I delivered you out of Egypt, I didn't just give you provisions and laws about sacrifices, but I told you, obey all that I command. And so Peter says to the churches in Asia, Bithynia, Cappadocia, Praise God that your sins have been paid for. What a blessing it is to have peace with God and not fear judgment. But don't you dare say amen to that and then turn to your brother and sister and say, get away from me. This must be kept together because Jesus kept it together. In his teaching, John 13, verse 35, By this all will know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another, we desperately wish Jesus could have made that easier. 
By this, they will know that you are my disciples. You go to that church on Antrim Street. By this, you will know, they will know that you are my disciples. You're very nice and sweet. You will know, they will know that you belong to me by how you love each other. Not only does Jesus teach this, but he prays for it in that high priestly prayer in John 17. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one, as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may see and believe that you sent me. What is Jesus praying He is praying that as his disciples would go out, his Jewish disciples would go out and preach to the Gentiles, that they would not only believe, have unity, that they would be together as one people. And that would display the truth of the gospel. Because if if the only people who are loving each other have everything in common, that doesn't prove anything. But if someone has a love for their brother or sister that transcends common affinities, I have nothing in common with this person, but they have the same Lord. They are filled with the same spirit. They are my brother or sister. That makes Jesus look glorious. Uh, Angie and I, we attended the, uh, the block party on Antrim Street. And I'm very happy to to share with you all that those who were aware that there was a church on this street and knew of you all said great things. Brothers and sisters, keep to that. Uh, Jesus says the world will be watching. I got to hear some of that. And the report was good. Keep going. Keep loving one another. The love that we have for one another must match God's character because it has been born from the seed of God's word. And Peter continues that because it is born of God's seed, his word, it has an eternal character to it. Did you see that? It's that quotation of Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah in chapter verses 24 through 25. All flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man is the flower of the grass. The grass withers, and its flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. You know, it's as if Peter takes us into a garden and says, Hey, I want to show you two different flowers. He takes us to one flower that's enormous. It's strong. It's beautiful. Catches your eye immediately. And Peter says, this flower in all its glory will soon fade, wither, and die. Because this flower, with all of its brilliance and beauty, is born of the flesh. And, and he is reaching to uh, the Old Testament where Isaiah is, is making a similar comment to the exiles. Isaiah preaches that uh, Babylon, this strong army and a strong empire born out of a love of power, a love of violence, a love of pleasure, a love of self, seems to be this strong flower that will never fade. 
And that, you're under the power of that flower. You're under Babylon's boots. But Isaiah says that because their power, their might, is born of the flesh, the Babylon will wither, but the church will remain. And what do you know? That's exactly what happens. So too, Peter says uh, to these brothers and sisters in the churches of Asia Minor, Rome in all its glory seems like it will be eternal. That their love for their many gods, their love for violence, their love for power, doesn't seem like that's going to change. But it will fade and wither. And you, you little churches in Asia, Bithynia, you will remain. Now this is what uh, Peter was talking about in verse 13. That it was the prophets filled with the Spirit of Christ who were proclaiming the grace that was to belong to the church. And so the message applies to us as well. Look around at the beautiful flowers in the United States of America. Communities, institutions that seem unmovable. Like they will uh, always be in the place of power and strength. And there's nothing you little Christians can do about it. But Peter's word, the good news that was preached to you, friends, is that because you were born of God's love and word, you will remain. You will not wither. You will not fade. Peter calls us to have a deep confidence in what the word of the Lord produces. But also, to give our attention to what the word of the Lord commands. Now, what are we to do while we wait for the city of man to fall? Are we to find a nice, comfortable chair, grab some snacks and wait it out? Let's just see how this goes. Uh, No, just like in our sermon passage last week, as you wait for the return of Christ, obey, imitate, be holy in all your conduct. And so too here in our sermon passage this morning, as you wait, love one another. And on uh, verse 1 in chapter 2, he focuses primarily on what (laughs) makes this difficult. Malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking. And we know this is an exhaustive list. There's so much more that Peter could have placed down. But he is calling the church to remove things that would be an enemy to the love that we have for one another and must practice. Now, there's an acceptable way of doing this, and then there's a right way. Let me tell you the acceptable way. The acceptable way is there's some brother or sister in the church who I'm envious of. They have it easier than I do. God gives them all the things that I should be getting. They laugh too long. They talk too much. They don't talk enough. They dress differently, act differently. So I'm in this position where I'm angry or upset with this brother or sister. And so I you know, start talking about them. And I, and I make sure to talk... Uh, about this brother or sister to someone who is not going to lovingly say to me, friend, that sounds like gossip. Go and be reconciled to your brother or sister. 
And my speech is persuasive. So now we start having more people who dislike this brother or sister. And now we have a group. And we have divisions in the church. So then an elder comes along and says to me, Hunter, you have been gossiping about your brother or sister. You have been taking someone who has been washed by the blood of Christ and with your words, tearing them apart. You need to repent. And let's, and let's say, with all praise be to Christ, I do repent. And I go and I'm reconciled with my brother or sister. That is the acceptable way. But friends, it certainly looks like Peter is after something else. He uses the language of laying aside. The idea of taking off uh, clothing, taking something off of you. And so for Peter, the the right way is, as soon as that envy or deceit or bitterness or carelessness, lack of compassion uh, comes upon you in your head or heart towards your brother or sister, remove it. Weed the garden, prune the flower, get it off of you. Uh, This is what Peter is calling the churches to do. We need to take uh, seriously the realities of this life, that this is going to happen. Thoughts and head and heart will uh, uh, show up that would put you at odds with your brother or sister, and you must respond accordingly. Because uh, you know how it is in church. Uh, You have brothers and sisters who is very easy to get along with. You wouldn't even need to be Christians to be chums with this person. Think the same, dress the same, like the same hobbies, very easy to talk to them. And then you have brothers and sisters who are different. A little bit harder to talk with them. They're needy. Always got something that they need you to do for them. They don't have... uh, The same godliness, knowledge that you may have. It's harder to love them. But doesn't that truly show, to to practice a love that, that goes beyond those natural bonds, doesn't that show the worth of Jesus Christ? Doesn't that show that I'm not looking for something in myself to move me to this person But it is the seed of God's word growing in my heart that has moved me towards this brother or sister who is different. This makes Jesus look glorious. Uh, Friends, I I don't want you to fall into a a horror, a a, a trap when this happens. It, It is believing the lie that you are giving to your brothers and sisters what you have not received. Why do I have to bear with their families? Why do I have to be patient with this brother or sister again? Why do I have to accept their apology again? As if you would be giving this individual something that you don't receive from the Lord Jesus every single day. 
Those friends are the Christians who excel in love. They're not, it's not because they're extroverts or introverts. Or they have the best jokes that they can bring out in any moment. The Christians who love well are the Christians who fully see and rejoice over the perfect love of Jesus. They are fully aware that everything I am asked to give my brother or sister, Jesus has given me in abundance. He bears with my failings. He responds with mercy, love. He is so committed to me. I would encourage you to think about that. The next time love is costly, and by no means am I trying to say it won't be, think about the Lord Jesus. You could ask yourself, has Jesus loved me this way? Has the Lord Jesus done this for me? Does he continue to do this for me? And when you are doing that, when you are looking to Christ, to be moved towards loving your brother or sister, do you know what's happening? You're growing. You are growing in the Christian life. You are growing in your understanding of the worth of Christ, the worth of your brothers and sisters, and you are growing. Do you desire this church? Do you desire to grow? Peter uh, uh, takes us out of the garden and he takes us to someone's house. Peter says to you, we're going to go in this person's house and you say to the apostle Peter, "Uh, that's against the law. You can't just go into somebody's house. And Peter says, just listen. And so we go into this house with the apostle Peter and we hear a baby crying. Arms are, are flailing, baby's turning red. And we see a dad who has no clue what to do. He checks the diaper. Maybe this is why the baby is crying and yelling. Diaper's dry. He looks for the favorite rattle toy. He gives it to the baby. The baby chucks it across the room and continues to cry. And then mom comes in. She says, that baby is crying because he or she is hungry. Dad hands the baby to mom. Mom nurses the child, and we see comfort. And we turn to Peter and say, listen, Peter, last week you told us that we had to act as children. Please don't tell me you're going to tell us we need to be babies. Peter says, no, I'm not telling you to act like babies. But did you see that strong desire for milk? Did you see that craving to be fed? That it didn't matter what else was going on because this baby wanted to grow. The comfort of of the milk, the strength that the milk provides to grow, you must have that same desire. You must crave God's word. He calls us to long for this spiritual milk. Not to, to, uh, to grow physically, but to grow spiritually. And there are two things, two mistakes that we can make as we hear Peter's 
urging, his command to desire the pure milk of the word. One is let all the milk go to your head. This is super easy in a Reformed church. What do I mean by that? You hear uh, Peter say, crave and desire the word, and you say, of course. I love reading Studying, I can read it in the original languages. I like exegesis. I bring commentaries into my personal devotions. And all that milk, all of that time in the Word, studying and, and seeing God's will revealed in the Scriptures, doesn't move you towards your brother or sister. It just fills your head got a head swelled with spiritual milk and short little arms where you don't reach for your brother and sister in love. This isn't what Peter is calling us to. And the second mistake is to live on an empty stomach. You know, if we were to see a a baby and this baby did not have access to milk, was not able to nurse, We would not say, clearly this isn't a baby. No, we would affirm this is a baby, but we would be moved to sympathy and compassion. This baby has no strength. Where can we find someone to give milk to this baby? This is not the condition that they need to be in, but for some reason, friends, when it comes to Christians, we are content. Christians, we we affirm, yes, you are a believer, but you're empty. Why are you not craving and desiring to be filled with the Word of God? You are being filled with media, news, things you see at work, things you see in your neighborhood, filled with your own thoughts. You have no desire for God's word. Peter commands the churches to crave God's word. Not to be know-it-alls. And not to be weak. But to have knowledge that moves us to worship. and and, And love our brothers and sisters. To be strong so as to serve one another. Peter is asking us to crave the Word of God. And and I'd like to say this. Don't hear what I'm saying and think that then the remedy is, well, I'm going to read ten chapters of the Bible every morning. That's not what I'm saying. What I am urging you, friends, is that when you are before the Word of God, that you would be pleading with your father to cause growth. Babies can't grow themselves, right? Uh, The baby has to make that gentle on the ears, alert, I need milk. And it is the milk that produces that growth. And so, friends, I am urging you, in your time of the Word, place out that cry, Holy Spirit, teach me. Open my eyes. Fill me with your word. So let me live. To bring glory to you and bring good to my neighbor.
the call to love each other well and to grow in the Christian life are two of the most fundamental things that we we understand about church life. We need to love one another and we need to grow. And yet, friends, how many horror stories do you know of of churches failing to do just those two things? How many people have you talked with and heard of the church failing to love their brothers and sisters? And perhaps some of you have received wounds and hurts because of the church failing to answer her call. I do not have the persuasion or the rhetoric to impress upon you how badly I would ask all of you to take this seriously. But I do ask, love your brothers and sisters and let your controlling desire in this life be growth. Love your brother and sister. Because this will abide. This will remain forever. Will you pray with me? Lord, we have received the greatest love in the world. And we are so slow to extend it to others. Forgive us. Give us strength that we may desire your word. And give us strength that we may move towards our brothers and sisters. I pray, Lord, that you would bring an end to the church hurt stories that flood this world. And that you would fill us with faith, hope, and love so that we may be a house and a family that displays the unity and the truthfulness of the gospel. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.